Welcome to the Infertility Feelings Podcast, episode three, season two. We're really excited to be here today. We are going to talk about adoption and what did we learn after we adopted and what did we bring from our infertility, all those things. Last week we talked about um, moving on from infertility to adoption. And today we're, we talked about our story of um, just struggling with infertility and what was, that, what was that like and how do we make that decision. So if you haven't gone to listen to that, I think that would be good to go back and listen to that if this is your first time listening. Um, listen to that first. And then today we are going to talk about um, what did we learn Moving After. on is such a hard thing to do. It is. It's hard in fertility so much. So it's hard. maybe easy to understand in concept, like, oh, I want to, you know, the idea of moving on, like you're always moving on to different things, but oh my gosh, how painful. No one likes to move on. And last week we talked about just moving on in general, any sort of moving on that you're doing. We just used our story because we adopted, but you can use the things that we talked about last episode for anything, surrogacy, when to stop treatment, moving on without children, all that. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I think it's really important to go back and listen to that. When I think about moving on, I always think about um, graduating high school. You know how when you, maybe this is just for me when I was in high school, but you know when you graduate high school or you, maybe you're a junior in high school and then there's like the guy or the girl who did, who already graduated, but like comes back a lot, you know? Is oh yeah, that it's a, a cool guy that like sits in the stands. You're like, what? No, or, no, I, I oh. always thought it was like lame. Like, oh. like why are you back, you know? Or like, well, like we went to two to different the, high schools, Come Dad. to the dances or hang out or be like randomly show up at the quad. But why are you back? Like, shouldn't you be moving on? Like, shouldn't you move on? Um, oh gosh, and I looked at that guy like, what's it like out there in the big scary world of college? That's literally what I was thinking. <laughs> like, you survived? Because I was either, so enamored in my way, high school experience. The goal is to, once you're done with something, to move on. Yeah. Um, but you don't ever just forget it. It's also like high school, really, where it's like, you know, you move on, you go to college, every, you know, you get accepted to Harvard, which is super normal, right? Um, <laughs> totally spent six Stanford, years of my life there. Or Stanford. Um, and, but, but once you move on, the time that you spent in high school is always affects you. It, it all, it leaves a lasting mark on your life forever. You never forget it. Um, it changes you internally because of the time you spent there, but you're not there anymore. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of, if, when, if you go back and listen in that first part of this series of talking about adoption, I think that's the point is that as we're moving on throughout our story, we are forever changed by what happens to us. We're forever, um, different because of what we experienced, but we're not, not necessarily there anymore. Exactly. And I think that is a perfect example of infertility. I think sometimes, and this is exactly what I did, which we're going to talk about today, is I was like wanting to forget that part of my life and wanting it to be solved in adoption. Mm. You time. thought you would get out of college what you wanted to get out of high school. Yeah. That's what we call junior college. <laughs> Just joking. I went to, I junior. Went to junior college. So did I. I love junior college. Yeah. I know. So throughout this episode, you will hear us tell our adoption story from beginning to end. And as we're telling you our story, we want to tell you the things that we learned, the yes. things that we picked up along the way, because uh, we made a lot of mistakes. Painful. We made probably most of the mistakes that you can make. So if you're thinking about that, this might be a possible outcome of what you want to do in life. Uh, listen to this story and, and hear some of the, the road markers that you might experience on your own journey. And then also maybe some of the common pitfalls that you could avoid by allowing us to make those mistakes for you. Basically, don't do what we did. <laughs> Just yeah. kidding. Do what we did, but without all of the major mistakes that we made. Right. Um, 
we're super grateful to be here today and yes. to tell this story. Yep. We realized that we run a podcast called the Infertility Feelings Podcast, and we're talking all about adoption today. So this might not apply to everyone, but if it does apply to you, uh, we hope that you enjoy it. If you know someone who would benefit from this, send this to them. And without further ado, here is our adoption story. So Doug and I had opened up our hearts to adoption and we had been looking into services and facilities and um, just where we wanted to go from here. And we got a phone call very quickly, I would say, looking back, um, looking very quickly after our infertility journey and after we stopped treatment. What would you say? How long was that? I think we had only really looked into adoption for a couple months. Yeah, we went months. to a adoption service and we went to like their like training thing, which yeah. was really, really, really good. Yeah, that could even be a first step if you are yeah. thinking about what do I do or, or we, we, we would just were fans of going to an agency that actually does the adoption placements. Yes. Just to hear their orientation, just to right. start to understand the words. I still remember things they said in that yeah, orientation that really I great. still use in um, our adoption journey. So then, so we were planning on going with this service. We had like signed up to do our initial paperwork, all that kind of stuff going down. And I get a phone call at work because we had put it out there on social media that we were um, wanting to adopt. And it was my cousin and she was at a party with a little boy and um, the family that had taken him in had um, some troubles that had come upon them. So they um, had taken him in to potentially adopt them, but then they were having some marriage issues. And um, this lady really felt strongly that she wanted um, this boy because he was so amazing and so great to her in her mind to go to someone that couldn't have kids on their own. It's really a story it's out, of a, out of like, what, it's like something hypothetical that you talk about, you know, well, you know, if you, you know, if you tell people you're adopting, yeah. there may be at this pool party, a boy right. that doesn't, you know, needs a place to go. And you're like, sure, sure, sure. That would never actually really happen. Right. But you know, right. theoretically it could. And looking and that, back, we thought that's how adoptions worked. We yeah, had no idea how that, hard it was. It really skewed us in a lot of ways. We were like, okay, so just like there's a lot of pool parties going yeah. on and there's a lot of kids at these pool parties. You, Apparently they need to be adopted. You know where we need to go? <laughs> pool parties. That's where we need to go. That's where all the kids are. So it but was, that was, I mean, us us announcing that we were adopting was a good move on our part, really. Yeah, be, because yeah. it, it just let our, even just on social media, like it, it allowed our community to be on the lookout. Yeah, and I never thought it would come from my cousin. Like, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. You never know yeah. what could happen. At a pool party. <laughs> At a pool party. So she's at this pool party. She sees this little boy and she remembers that we had put up on social media that we were wanting to adopt and so she calls me right away. I um, am a hairdresser. I cut hair for a living. So literally, I she actually, I think, DM'd me on Facebook. I don't even know if we had I each other's numbers. DM, yeah. And she DM'd me on Instagram or Facebook or something and I saw it and I was like, huh, that's kind of random, kind of didn't care, kind of whatever. And then I saw you were calling me and I was like, oh no, which is, this is a theme of our lives is how many times Doug called me at work saying that there's like a child that may potentially be coming into our home that day. (laughs) But that's a story for another time. But um, so he called and said that, you know, that there was this little boy and he was 18 months old and he needed a place to go. He needed a home. And what do we think? Which also just think about that happening in your life. You're just moseying down, cutting some bangs like I was, and boom, you get a call of like, do you want an 18-month-year-old boy? Like, it's just, it's crazy, crazy sometimes. Crazy, and that's yeah. what I feel like the adoption adoption world and especially foster care world can do to you where you have to really decide what you want sometimes beforehand so you can know what, what you're going to say yes to when it gets hit 
on you because this is what happens with adoption is things just happen very quickly sometimes. Yeah, the timing is such a variable that changes all the time. Right. Sometimes it takes so long. You're, I mean, like years, right? Like right. two, we've been on a waiting list for two years. Yes. At other times, it's like we haven't even processed our thoughts about this at all. Right. So I think it's exciting to go, oh, it could be four days. You know, right. it could be that really short. Uh, but it, the chances are it also could be really long. Yeah. But the point is, is on an emotional level, going into adoption, feeling emotionally stable is probably the <laughs> probably the thing that is most important because you don't know. It could be a couple days. It could be a couple years. So emotionally being strong, being ready for it to be fast, ready for it to be slow is is probably um, the thing that we did not do. Did not. <laughs> and I think we also thought that this is how it was going to go. We just were like, oh, it's going to be this easy. Yeah. So um, he, we met him four days later after that initial phone call um, of me kind of, but also in those four days, which is hilarious, four days, I was like adjusting my expectations mm -hmm. a little bit of like, wow, this is not how I thought this was going to go. Wow, this is really fast. Wow, he's 18 months. I was expecting an infant. Like all these things. I had all the questions. Why is Why are they not adopting him? Like I had all all these things, which mm -hmm. I think is completely normal. Yeah. And then we went to a park and met this little sweet boy. And instantly, I knew instantly. Yeah, instantly, instantly. fell in love. Yeah. He was in a stroller. He was walking up to us. And I just was like, I had my mom and my sister there and Doug. And I was just like, I felt this connection to him. I just did. It was, it was like a birth connection, I feel. I've never given birth. I've never mm -hmm. been pregnant. But that birth connection of like, oh my gosh, I feel this deep down in my soul that I'm going to take care of you for the rest of my life. I've only had that twice in my life. Yeah. You can just guess what happens next. That's <laughs> later in the story. But um, the, I just instantly felt this connection to him. And then five days after that, he was living with us. So we literally had nine days. Some people have nine months. Once we had nine, nine days. days. Hashtag <laughs> nine days. So that what a was a what a roller coaster that was. I remember thinking about I remember being excited and terrified all at the same time because we just didn't know anything. No. It was a private adoption. Mm -hmm. So the so the state wasn't involved at all. It wasn't through an agency, it wasn't through a lawyer. It was like a person who was raising a child that wasn't theirs who said I, I you know we can't do this anymore. Would you be willing to do it? So it was like, uh, yeah, sure. What on earth does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. Right. So it was a, a quick education in the fostering world. I mean, the adoption world. I'm sorry. Um, and the legal world. We immediately called law our lawyer and mm -hmm. said, what do we do? Right. Um, and then we, you know, we had to go on this long journey of figuring out who this child was, what's mm -hmm. their backstory, uh, uh, and really had to dive in. But a complete mixture of excitement um, and like, oh my gosh, this is for real. This is happening. And total terror. And like, total I can't believe terror. this is happening. Yes, yes. A bomb. I would say it was a, it was an emotional, hard and exciting and joyful bomb. I'll yeah. never forget the first day he was there. He was he was in our home, which is just crazy to think that like one day you have not a child and the next day you have an 18 month old. It's crazy. And I remember he was eating pudding and he was eating chocolate pudding mm -hmm. and he took it and he kind of didn't like a piece of it and he took it and he threw it on the ground the spoon or whatever. And I will never forget looking at you and being like discipline thoughts. Like <laughs> we just were like, so like, yeah, Oh my gosh. Parenting. How, what do, what are we doing? This yeah, like when you have an infant and you're raising them, it's like, that comes like slowly, slowly, slowly. And right, this was right. just like, Oh my gosh, such a shock. And I think that's when, especially if you want to foster or adopt older children, that's something you want to maybe think about a little bit. Cause we did not think about that at all. Yeah. I think maybe one of the, the, 
pitfalls that we fell into that you would want to avoid is, is like I said, we were just weren't emotionally, I think, prepared yeah. for this journey. Right. It happens so fast. So a lot of the emotional stuff that we should have been dealing with mm-hmm. really got masked by how quickly this situation fell into our laps. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were, you know, immediately at court meeting, you know, his extended family and making relationships there and getting to know them and building trust that we almost forgot. We were like in soldier mode, like, you know, just got to get all this stuff done. And we had really almost not really processed how we were feeling and how much this was emotionally affecting us. I would say that my love grew for him instantly, instantly. My love was for him and it was like he was mine, but it didn't solve that's what I learned very quickly. I would say two months into mm-hmm. it, I was like, I'm still sad. I'm still having a hard time. I'm still like, this is not solving my kid sadness that I thought I was gonna have. Like, yes, it helped a lot. And he was so great. And our cuddles and our hold hands and him calling him mommy is this, me, him calling me mommy is one of the sweetest sounds I've ever heard in my life. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. And he was so amazing and is so amazing still. Yeah. But... Did you I, have a moment where you where you realized where you were like, because you know in the beginning obviously it was so crazy we were getting the house ready building I've right. built a million cribs yeah. <laughs> if you ever need advice on how to build a crib I could build a crib Target IKEA anywhere what's By hilarious hand no directions I could put them together in twenty minutes is we have had an only had an infant for three days in this whole entire journey and Doug has put together and put, took down six seven cribs. cribs six yeah. cribs yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyways we were getting the house ready. Um, it felt like it was exciting. It felt like we were in a movie. Like it felt like father of the bride. People were running around and all this stuff was happening. It was like, oh my gosh, people father were coming. Bride, over. I don't know funny. why that maybe came to mind, but <laughs> people were running around and, you know, calling us like, is this really happening? I'm so excited. And it felt so awesome. Um, and it felt like the excitement almost covered up the fact that it was like we were becoming parents um, mm-hmm. for the for the first time. But it was we were becoming parents under this under this very odd situation where we were like, I think this is gonna last. I think this is gonna work. I remember sitting with the lawyer going, "What should we expect? You know, we have no idea what to do." Um, but it brings me back to I had a moment where I thought, mm. "Wow, this is really um, there's a child in our home, but I still have pain." Was there a moment for you that you noticed? okay, some of the pain that I've experienced in infertility is not just immediately gone because our son is in our house. Totally. I had a moment. um, It was just being at home, honestly. Um, And I think in the beginning, I blamed it all on like, this is a lot. Yeah. There's an 18-month-old living with me, discipline, naps, and I was didn't have a child, you know, a month ago and I could do whatever I want. I realized how, you know, freedom you had. And so I think I was grieving that. So I think a lot in the beginning, I was like, this is just new mom. This is just new mom. This is just new mom, you know, cause there's so much adjusting. And then there's so much adjusting when you go from, you know, an 18 month old. Um, so I think it was a couple months into it. I would catch myself in my head daydreaming still about about us having kids or, you know, like, and, and thinking about like traumas that happened in our infertility. And that would still like come into my mind. And I just remember, and I remember meeting our, our son's extended family. And that was so great and so awesome. But it also showed me of like, this is, this is different. 
this is not the same of me having my own biological children. Like mm-hmm. when you adopt, which we'll talk about in our next episode, tips and all those kind of things, but like, and language I think is really important, but like you, you, this is a shared child. This comes to you shared. And I think yeah. that was the biggest thing is when infertility, I wanted it to be like mine, mine, because I had, I had lost so much. It was, a, it was something that you wanted to happen to you, to you, to your right. body. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think a big thing that I did is I went into adoption I didn't mean to, but it just happened because it, honestly it happened so fast and I didn't check my emotional radar to serve me. Mm. What can you, you really, do for me? You really me? think that, that? I really did that. Yeah. I, um, not all the way. I mean, we had talked Maybe about adoption it, a lot. I knew a lot of people that were adopted. One of my best friends is adopted. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, I knew that it was, I knew all that, but really there was a deep down dark desire. If you really peeled back the layers of my heart was I wanted it to serve me like, Oh great. Check the box of being a mother. Mm -hmm. And that's what I learned. And I think how I did that was I came into adoption with conditions Mm. and I learned that when we tried to adopt again, Mm. because I think I went into like, okay, 18 months, totally fine. Let's do this. And then I was like desperate to move on and desperate to have that infant. And I think what yeah, I... We started talking about our next adoption. Very re- quickly. Re- very quickly, yeah. Which is not bad. If that's what you want to do, yeah, yeah. totally fine. For us, though, it was the motivation factor. That's really what it was for me. Mm. Is and I, and, I, and I use this visual of like everything that I had let go of, being able to breastfeed, being able to birth my own child. A big thing for me, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, was going to a shower pregnant for myself. And all those things I yeah, had having that experience, having that experience, I was like, okay, I'll let those go. I'll let those go. I'll hold them. But everything else I held so much tighter and I went into adoption with conditions. We have our son in our home. He's wonderful, but I'm realizing that I'm very desperate to move on to get these conditions met that I had had. Doug, what, what were you feel like you were feeling in that time? I feel like it was a slow learning process about what adoption is a slow, um, waking up, so to speak, uh, that my initial thought of what we were doing in adoption was, was it was a little adoption was a little different. Um, I think to be perfectly honest, my motivation going into adoption was to get a family was to just have children. And by doing that, you know, if I'm being raw and honest, if by doing that, you would be happy, I would be happy and I would have, you know, quote unquote, succeeded in my task of helping our family grow. And I thought, well, if, uh, you know, if infertility is not a for sure thing, adoption will be a for sure thing. And we were so tricked in the beginning because it was a f- so a for sure thing. Um, our son is still with us. Mm-hmm. We were able to adopt him. It took two years to adopt him, mm-hmm. um, but we were able to adopt him and it felt like this worked and I- I'm so happy. But about you know halfway through his case, I started to realize I went into adoption thinking that this was kind of like you, like you're saying, is about me, is about Jesse and I, and we are bringing this child into our family. And it was, you know, when I look back on everything I was journaling about, talking about when my friends was like, you know, we have opened ourselves up. It was a lot of we language, a lot of... I language. I even think like we went into it being like, and we're going to be good at this. Totally. Like, like, we're so good we're, at this yeah. parenting thing. Like, oh my gosh, look at us. And everyone around us would tell us that. Yeah. So it's like, and I think it's true. I think we have a lot of love to give and we have an amazing community yeah. and we have a great partnership in ourselves that we do have a lot to give, but it was almost like a chip on our shoulder of like, yeah, we got this. Yeah. This is about us. 
Exactly. And I think the moment I, I had this moment where, you know, halfway through this story, I had thought that just, you, you know, Jesse and I were the central characters to this story mm. that we were in. And then all of a sudden I had this moment where the plot shifts a little bit and, and I realize I am just a sub character to the main character in this story. And this story isn't my story. This story is our son's story. Yes. We are joining his story. He's not joining our story. We're grown ass adults. We don't, the, the, you know, for him, he can't do anything for us. He's a child that needs someone to take care of him. But I was thinking that he, you know, we had he was going to solve all of these problems in our, you know, life and relationship and make us complete and whole. That's too much to put on a little eighteen month old. That's a lot of weight. <laughs> That's a lot of weight. Yeah. He can't carry anything. Yeah. <laughs> but that moment of going, oh my word, uh, there is a different main character in this story, and, and instead of then seeing we are adopting him into our life. It was more of a, we are being adopted into his life. That is so good. Put that we, on a t-shirt. We really ought to change the main theme of what adoption is, is we're not necessarily pulling these kids into our story. We're joining their story. I totally, absolutely, 110,000%. Amen, 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 I agree. <laughs> and I think I realized that by by realizing how wonderful his family was. Yeah, There exactly. were extended family members in his life who were, you know, admittedly unable to care for him. And mm -hmm. it was an open adoption, still is an open adoption. We And we did this all in partnership. But um, we, I can't demonize those people. I can't, uh, I can't make every decision they made horrible. Yeah. Um, and they love him yes. and they have loved him. And they love us. And they love us. Yes. So it's, it's, he doesn't exist in a vacuum, our son. Right. He doesn't exist with no connections. Even if he had no, no connections that we could know of. Right. Even if he did really come just by himself, he has stories. He has had things that happened to him in the womb. He has, you know, a history, a lineage that has to be remembered and we have to join that. He's not joining us. It really is this, um, it's more of a marriage than it is an adoption, you know? Totally. It's more of this like he, all of who he is and what he comes mm -hmm. from joins all of who we are and what we come from. Um, and that moment was a humbling moment. So now we're moving on and we want to adopt again and we want to adopt our um, second child. And um, this one was a little bit different and we got matched with a birth mom. And I was almost another, again, I like almost had a little bit of chip on my shoulder. Like I'm going to do this birth mom thing so well and be like, this is your child. And it's true. I do still think that way, but like, this is your child. I had already thought of like, um, a birthstone I was going to give her on the day that she, the month that she gave birth. And I just was so all about it. And so wanting that not realizing you were ready to do that relationship. Really I was, well. I was. And I think that the story for another day, I think birth moms get a really bad rap. You know what I mean? And I think that, you know, they are giving you their most precious gift you can give anyone ever story for another time. But, um, <laughs> but I went into it and I went into it with a desperation and I had all these things that I was willing to let go okay, I'm not the one that's going to give birth. Okay, I'm not going to be the one that, you know, breastfeeds and gets pregnant and has the announcement, all that. But I can still kind of get that and get little pieces and parts of it with being 
with a birth mom. And, you know, I came in. You can with, be in the room or something. Where, I can be in yeah. the room. And I think that my biggest motivation of why that was and my biggest condition was the infant thing, which mm. you can only realize now why I felt that way is because, you know, the story that we've had and the, and the path that we've had. Um, but I did not realize that I was doing that. And I think in big ways, I did not listen to my gut. There was things where I was like, huh, that was interesting. But also we were in really deep with this couple. So, you know, I was in it where I was going to get her, you know, the birthstone so she can always have that. I was going to write her a letter of a letter every day, you know, every year the baby had a birthday. Like I was in it deep and I wanted that relationship to work and I was so desperate to have that happen. And as we're so desperate to have this situation work out, uh, to be perfectly honest, we started to realize that there were things about this situation that didn't feel right, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, they had never fully agreed that they would go through with the adoption. She did to she me. She had said yes, I think, right? But, um, but you know, they were uh, a married couple and he was unsure about it and there were lots of conditions they had and we never really could get to a point where we were going to talk about how it was going to happen. Also, I think one thing to note, this is our first time work, working with a birth family. Yeah, so we, we were had, such newbies. Yeah. We were such newbies. We had no idea. We're like, I feel like we constantly would drive home and be like, is this just adoption? Like, is this what happens? Right. Do people have conditions like that? So I think that's a really important thing to know. But I think that was our gut talking. For me, that was my gut talking and not listening to me, not listening to my gut, because I always went back on, but that's how we're going to get our infant. That's how we're going to get our infant. So, okay, let's just not listen to your gut. I think we went from giving them the benefit of the doubt to bending over backwards because we were afraid to not get an infant. There was, I remember there was this transition we had where it was like, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, this is a difficult process. And then it got weirder and weirder and more wrong and more wrong. And then at, at some point it was like, yeah, but this is how we're going to get our infant. This is how Jesse's going to get her infant. This has to work. What do I have to do to make this work? And that's how you slowly, slowly get into a position where you're doing things that are you know, wrong, that are inappropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, we we gave them, we paid for them to stay in their house, and we we put them up in a place to stay for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, we we were we were missing a lot of red flags mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that eventually ended up in, in this explosive situation where they where they left town in the middle of the night never to be heard again. Uh, and we realized that we had gone too far. We had, yeah. because of our trauma, because of what we had experienced in infertility, this situation had to work. Yeah. And we did everything we could to make it work. And we we, we got really got violated. We went too far with it. Yes, that was a dark time. So that was probably the beginning of some of the darkest days of, the, of my journey, um, of our journey together. Um, at that moment I didn't, so, so began the dark days of Jesse and Doug Brown's life. <laughs> um, of, those you know, were some of the darkest Those were some of the days. darkest days. And now looking back, I see that it was because I wasn't getting what I wanted, but then it was just like, oh my gosh, such a whirlwind and so depressing. And so I was really in a bad place and I was yeah. pissed. If I'm being completely honest, I was pissed. I was pissed at myself. I was grieved. I mean, I had a registry. I did a gender reveal. I did all those things. So 
it, it was just so almost a little bit embarrassing, embarrassing to our community, embarrassing to my family, even though they were so amazing and loved us and were so gracious and so amazing, but embarrassed. I felt embarrassed too. Do you feel like you would have dealt with that situation differently if you weren't as uh, invested because of what happened in infertility? Like if you were just addressing this situation now, would you have <laughs> dove in, you know, dove in so far? No, absolutely not. So you, it really was the wounding yep. because of infertility that, that yep. drove you too far. Yep. Do you think that's really part of what was so painful? Like, and part that's, of that's what it is. Pa- but part of what, like what made it so dark was like, it was not only that we had kind of gotten, you know, I hate to say it this way, but like tricked yeah. and they were lying to us. Not only was it that it was, that was like, it felt like it was pressing on this wound that we had. Absolutely. So again, I kind of wanted to be like, well, that sucks. Let's take a weekend to be sad about that and eat Oreos. And then it was like, how can we do this again? And there was also a, another really dark journey of trying to find another birth mom. Yeah. Um, and we got matched again. Um, kind of maybe like, we probably took a little bit more time than a weekend looking back. Yeah. We pro- I think we took like four was, or five It months. was about 50 bags of Oreos, I think. Yeah, I think it was about 55 bags <laughs> of Oreos. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, we found another birth mom like five to six months later once we like kind of opened our hearts again to be like okay um and i i want to make a note in those in that break i really was sad but i don't think i grieved and i Mm. think there's a difference which we can talk about in a second um but so we go into our second adoption and um we were a lot wiser we did listen to our gut. Yeah. We learned a lot of things. We didn't pe- spend a penny. And right. she was actually really great. And she, you know, we I listened to like the heartbeat on the phone calls and like all this stuff. She was sending us pictures. Like she was really, really great. I really liked her. Um, again, a little bit cautious because of my wounding. Um, but, you know, that was really, really, really great. Um, but then we're celebrating us being matched again. And we, we did yeah, not we went do, to a fancy dinner. We did not do any, I didn't want to do any sort of like anything that we did before. No gender reveals, no nothing. I think I had, I had yeah. a small registry that like haunted me for like six years after that. But, <laughs> um, we would always ask me like, you want to look at your registry again? And I'm like, how can I delete this more? I don't know if I just should call this <laughs> company. It's a story for another time. But, um, so she, we were out to dinner and we had the like celebratory dinner of becoming a family of two. And I will never forget, we're sitting there, we're having a great time. We even like were there to celebrate that. Had the, you know, dessert that, that says said, congratulations, congratulations that you have another child coming. Um, and I'll never forget, you looked at your phone and she told us that she wanted to parent her own, her, parent her child. Yeah, and she said, she's, I think the text was, I'm not doing this anymore. Like I'm not into it anymore. Yeah. And that, and then the dessert came, <laughs> and then the dessert came, and I was like, "Oh, literally, my I think it literally God. happened like that. It was like, yeah, it was. I'll never was forget like, that. Oh, she's backing out of the whole thing, and then it was like, here's your dessert. Yeah, <laughs> and they yeah. took a picture of us. Yeah. Oh gosh, I could cry. I remember that. It was. It's like we joke about it, but it's like so not funny. Like, yeah. it was so hard. It was so hard, and I remember going home and being like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so far into this again." Even though I was proud of us that we didn't, we learned things from our first ones that we didn't do with this one. But I let my. I. It was like, just so shattering, and I'll never forget. We came home, 
the dessert tasted like crap, by the way. It was cr- such crap dessert. The <laughs> worst like crap. creme brulee we've ever had. Worst creme brulee <laughs> I've ever had. And I remember laying on the couch, and we hadn't told anybody yet, yeah. of course. Yeah. It was like just happened like an hour ago. But like I was laying on the couch, and I remember looking out our like dining room window and just feeling the weight of the world. <clears throat> the weight of the world on me and the sadness of almost our entire journey on us that day. That was really, really, really hard that time. Should I take a break? (laughs) I don't think that weekend I moved off the couch. I never moved one time. Of course, we have our son, so of course I was a mom but and helped him, but I, I really was in a dark space, and that is when I put my butt into therapy and was like, I need to not walk. I need to run to this place because I'm really not doing well. Something about that dynamic needed to change, and, and right. I think I felt we were in the same boat that right. the desperation that we had to make these adoptions work, and then when they didn't work, how far we fell something was off something was you know deeply broken and i think probably what ended up being true is that some, something was never dealt with right 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 it was like so much of me have died and it's like what that feels like strong yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like and so and i just wasn't getting better i just never felt better and i was just really angry and and wanting to give up and i was like wait I have this dream of growing our family and I'm just wanting to like run away with it and put my hands up and be like, this is too freaking hard. I don't want to do this anymore, you know, cause it's just, it was just a really, really hard time. So I went into therapy and I started talking to my therapist who was awesome and literally saved my ass during this whole entire thing. And, um, we just started talking about Doug and I, we teach whenever we, whenever we teach about grief, we talk about how, um, going back to your original grief, Going back to the original, the original thing, pain, yeah. the original pain, sorry, the original pain. Um, and so that's exactly what my therapist did was I remember just saying, talking about an infant and talking about like, but this is how we get our infant and this is how we grow our family. And she just, I'll never forget her saying, why does it have to be an infant? I hear you say infant all the time. Why does it have to? And of course, she's probably thinking in her mind because you struggle with infertility and you're trying to solve all your problems. But <laughs> she didn't say that. But that was my Oprah aha moment was like why does it have to be and I was like had this like shrinking feeling on her couch of like oh my gosh why this has been so painful is because I'm not getting my conditions met everything that I was holding on so tightly I had to let go of and not solve through adoption and go on the adoption path with owning it and being like this is what this is and and being open to any single scenario. I'm not saying also, I want to say this very clear. It is not wrong to want to adopt infants. Right. Absolutely not. Just for me, I went into it so desperately. You to weren't solve taking that. adoption for what it was. No. You were you no. were trying to get something out of adoption. Exactly. You were trying to like squeeze something out of it. Yeah. And and it wasn't working. Right. So I think one thing that is helpful because I feel like it's like, how do you do that? How do you do that in infertility when you're moving on to surrogacy? How do you stop treatment? How do you, you know, adopt or go into foster care? And it's really, for me, what was really helpful is channeling my original pain, which my original pain was, I'm not going to have biological children on my own. And for me, it was giving it a name. That was really helpful for me. And I had a name that I had loved since I was 11 years old. It was my grandma's name. It was Ruby is the name. 
And um, I took that name and I really channeled all those things that I wasn't going to have, basically. And, you know, we would take time to grieve um, that I would never breastfeed Ruby. And I we would grieve that I would never give birth to Ruby. And I really, it was really helpful to channel that into, okay, I have something, I have something that I can really think about that. And when I'm sad about that, I can think about that name and think about who she was going to be. Um, and, uh, just really channel my grief. I think that's helpful to channel my grief into really what it was. And so I really feel like that's how everyone says infertility will not, adoption won't, won't cure infertility. That is how, is going back and really grieving what happened to you. I thought about all the trauma that had happened to me in my infertility journey. And then also thinking the biggest trauma was we weren't gonna have biological children on our own and really grieving that and going back to that original pain. So I could go into adoption turning all the lights on of what possibility adoption could be and just being like, okay, I am going to surrender to this process and go into it. And I think that's how you don't bring your infertility into adoption. After this season of experiencing failure after failure when it came to adoption and entering into therapy and really addressing these issues head on, really facing some of these painful moments that had come up and had grown throughout our infertility process, we were able to grieve them. We were able to be sad about those original things and process them, which was an incredibly freeing experience. Exactly. By experiencing those things uh, differently, by looking at them differently and seeing our lives in a new light, we were able to look forward and really ask ourselves, what is it that we are open to? What is it that would be good for us? And more and more, we kept coming back to this idea of foster care, that there were you know infants out there that would be so wonderful, but there were also, you know we live in Southern California, there were hundreds, if not thousands of kids who are older who need a place to go. And we started to open ourselves up to thinking, well, why wouldn't they come and stay with us? We would have never got there if it wasn't uh, for the time that we spent grieving the losses that we had during infertility. But, but once we had done that, really the world started to open up again. If you would have told me at the beginning of this journey, adoption journey, that I would be fostering a seven-year-old girl, I would have laughed in your face and said, you are absolutely wrong. I remember even going to an adoption like seminar and there was a foster class. And I remember looking at it being like, I am too scared to go over there. Like, I don't even want to, like, that is not what I want. I don't want to do that. And so how did that change? How did I end up fostering an eight-year-old girl? And I think a seven-year-old girl, I think that it was because I had gone back, I have grieved and I had, now I was open to every single possibility that was coming our way. And it was for the first time, the first time that I was able to say, what would be best for our family instead of what would be best for me? And we thought, what are we capable of? You exactly. Know? Like, are we going to get this thing? Are we going to solve our infertility through foster care? No. Exactly. Well, are we going to be able to get this like magical family and this like a perfect picture of what we want? No. Well, what is foster care? Well, it's this. Well, I could do that. I'm not trying to solve this problem over here, but this problem over here, I, I think I could invest in that. Yeah. And our son was six at the time. And oh no, maybe five. He was five at the mm -hmm. time. And I just was like, it was the first time I could really take all my blinders off and just be like, what's best? And I'll never forget. We're sitting on our couch and 
you said, what are we doing? And I said, we're taking kids in that have no place to go. And that was the first time I really could own that. That's what we're doing. Yeah. We're not having it to serve me. That's what we're doing. And then I said, and then you said, what do you think would be the best fit? Like, let's just say you had a magic wand and you could just say, what's the best fit? And I went, it's the first time. I did not say infant. I said, a seven-year-old girl. And you were like, I'm sorry. I'm I think sorry. my head exploded, yeah. I think you were like, I'm sorry, what? And then I think you were like, <laughs> well, therapy's doing good for you. Um, and I said, a seven-year-old girl. That would be the best for our family. And right after I opened myself up to that possibility, we get a phone call which is, I'm not saying this is going to be for everybody that this happens to, but just so happens for us, we would have never gotten this opportunity if I hadn't just been open to any possibility and really what's best fit for our family. And so we met this little girl and she is pretty awesome. And foster care is totally different. And Completely. When we, and when we met her, it was um, a wild card really. It was like, well, we think that... You know, she needs a place to go. That's all we knew. And um, we didn't know for how long. We yep. didn't know yep. uh, what was going to be the outcome of it. Which it, I think is also important when you have grieved your infertility because I think that was a big piece for me. Like, okay, I want it where the parents have no contact and whatever. It's like that was not – that's not walking into foster care or for what, adoption. For what foster care is. For what foster care is, exactly. And once we did that, we were – you know, they were able to say, we don't, we don't know anything about you – know, there's a lot of unknowns that we were able to say – Okay. That's okay. okay. Um, it, it ends up like she's, she's been here for a long time. She might be here forever, but we still don't know. Yeah, don't we're, know. we're still in the, in the open, but right. we're only able to do that because of this long journey that we've mm -hmm. walked and all these things that we've learned along the way. Mm -hmm. So Jesse, looking back on our story, what is maybe the main theme that you feel like that you've learned throughout this journey? Obviously we've talked about a lot of things that you've learned, but what, you know, if someone is sitting in a position thinking, I could be open to adoption, what can you pass on to them that you've learned through your story? I would say if they were sitting right here next to me and they asked me that question, I would say two things. I would say you are going to fall in love with them and attach to them. And that's a really good thing. That's a really, really good thing, especially when it comes to foster care. Attaching to them is teaching them how to attach and that, that there's going to be no sweeter sound than having someone call you mommy. Our son calling us mommy is still, I never take that for granted. That is such a sweet, sweet sound. My biggest caution to you would be, would be to check your motivation. Check if you have conditions. But also I would say to this person to have grace on yourself and you are not going to be perfect. You are not going to be perfect. I can still get triggered. You know, our, you know, nine-year-old foster placement doesn't call me mom. She calls me Jess, which, you know, if I hadn't grieved the, the, my, my past, that might be really hard for me. But of course, it sometimes triggers me to be like, oh man, I do want that. Like I do want her to call me mom. I am the mom of our house. Like I would love that. But I'm not going into it being like, I have to have it. I have to have it. So you're not going to be perfect. You don't need to go in with like this squeaky clean person that's like, I've grieved all my tears. It's all gone. Like, no, it's just, it's just walking into it, being completely open for what it is and that it's not there to serve you. You are there to serve them. Doug, how would you respond to that? What would be your biggest 
advice to someone? My biggest piece of advice, the thing that I learned throughout adoption more than anything else was who the main character is in this story. And it's not us. It is the children that we are bringing into our home. And to just from the very beginning, understand that from the very beginning, not to think that this child is going to solve all of your problems. If anyone's problems are going to be solved in this situation, it's the child's problems. If, you know, if we have a child who doesn't have a place to go and they need someone to be their parents and to raise them, that's the problem that's being solved. And by getting the, that order correct, the entire thing makes more sense. Adoption makes more sense. It's it's easier. It's 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 f- more fun, um, and you actually feel like things click into place more. That that you are jumping into their story to elevate them and to support them and raise their voice and and do the things that they be an need advocate for them and be an advocate for them um, instead of sitting there going, "Well, I'm not happy because this. I'm not happy because this." That's that's you've misplaced the main character in this story. Our story of adoption is crazy, but really most every story of adoption that we've heard is, is uh, they're different and they're all so interesting. You know, not there's not many stories that are like, wow, that went completely to plan. Hey, there's always this wild card, difficult thing. And, and that's why adoption is so, so magical and so wonderful. You're really going on this you know, intense journey of figuring out how to support these kids. So the, the things that we've experienced, the themes that have happened throughout our, our life and throughout our journey, hopefully can really benefit you. The things that we've learned, you're going to learn those things. And maybe now they're in your head. And instead of having to discover them out in the wild, you can go into adoption with some of these thoughts in your head. And Doug and I are your biggest fans. We are cheering you on. This is a beautiful road to take. It is growing for every single person involved. And it really is beautiful. Adoption is, you know, they say like equally sad and beautiful. And it, it's it's an exciting journey. And we have you back, we have your back and we're cheering you on all the way. So you may be thinking, okay, I'm ready to learn more. Maybe you're you're actually at a point where you are wanting to take an actual first first step into figuring out adoption, foster care. What does it look like? Um, what can I actually tangibly do today or tomorrow to like start going down this road? We have made a bonus podcast all for you. Bonus. So today at the you know at, you'll see on our podcast that so there is actually a bonus podcast right after this one where we break down exactly adoption and foster care. What do we need to know and how do we jump into those things? Myths about adoption, tips about adoption, language about adoption. We'll break down for you what it looks like to do an adoption through uh, through a private agency. We'll also talk about some of the other different ways that you can adopt. We'll talk about how foster care works and you could start to really start to spin your wheels about what would work for our family? What are we willing to do? And you at the end of that bonus podcast can really take the first step. So we're excited for you. And we hope that you listen to that. We thank you for listening today. We'd love for you to leave a review on our podcast if you haven't done that. Uh, And we hope to see you soon. Only if you like it. Only if you like it. If you hate it, well, I guess you could leave a review too. DM me and say you hate it and we'll grow. But don't put it on the thing. (laughs) (laughs) This has been another episode of the Infertility Feelings Podcast.